0: Chapter 16. Sorry, Matthew chapter 8. I'm getting ahead of myself. Matthew chapter 8. It really is good to see you all. Um, I had it in my head that the service started at 10 o'clock. So I was looking around the room at 10 too, thinking, well, there's only about five people here. So you must have heard it's me and you've all gone somewhere else. Um, and uh, anyway, you're all here now. So that's super. Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to read from verses 18 through to 27. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Father, we ask you as we read the scriptures, Lord, minister to our hearts. Feed us, open your word to us. Lord, let it be to us living bread. Let it be to us living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, write your word upon our hearts. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, we pray. Amen. Amen. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead or allow the dead to bury their own dead. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. Praise the Lord. The thing which I have on my heart to share with you this morning is to take a look at this, I suppose, very well-known, very familiar um, account from the Word of God of the disciples uh, going into the boat with the Lord and going across the Sea of Galilee. And, and all that befell them and all that the Lord did um, as they took that journey. And what I propose to do, God willing, is to actually look at all three gospel accounts where this story is recorded. Um, it, it occurs in Matthew, Mark and Luke. And um, the first thing to say about that is that each of the gospels brings out slightly different details, as to what happened and it's really good for us to understand that where we see an account repeated in different gospels and particularly where the details are different that is not because they are there to contradict one another but rather they are there to amplify one another do you understand that please don't think oh this isn't quite Matthew says something different to Mark there must be a problem not at all and this is a very common thing. Any, any witnesses to a particular event or a particular scene will see it from their own perspective. Uh, something particular about it will be impressed on them. And, of course, in this instance, the Holy Spirit himself uh, draws certain details through each of the folk who are involved and who are there. Uh, and the Lord knows that he needed to get several witnesses together to bring us the full picture of what he wanted to convey to us about any particular account in the word of God so please don't be troubled if you see differences as I say they are then to amplify one another and give us the full picture and so I will be flitting between all three gospels you can follow it through Matthew of course go to the others if you wish but we often launch into verse 23 I suppose about when he got into the boat but I think it's very good that we see the context Um, which really starts from verse 18. And it says this, interesting. You see this time and again in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, that he was having gathered around him. And actually, quite the contrary, it appears that at times he shunned the crowd. And actually he wanted to get away from the crowd, because as he did that, the disciples came with him. And this thing is, is the first thing that really is on my heart to, to bring this morning. And I think, in a sense, an element of it already came through our brother earlier on. That call to come off the fence and to follow the Lord. And this is the issue. You see, so often a crowd would appear where Jesus was. And he would be teaching and particularly if there were miracles taking place, if the Lord was healing and if he was giving mighty deliverance to people, a crowd would often appear. And yet Jesus knew, we're reading in John chapter 2, what was in the heart of men. And there's an extraordinary, an extraordinary verse there I'd just like to refer to. In, in, at the end of John chapter 2 it says, When he was in Jerusalem, this is verse 23, in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. Notice why they believed, they observed the signs. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men by concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, verse 23, where it says, many believed in his name, and then verse 24, which in my version says, Jesus was not not entrusting himself to him, that is the same Greek word. It's quite extraordinary. So you could read it like this, many were committing themselves to Jesus, but Jesus wasn't committing himself to them. Or you could even say, many believed in Jesus, but he, on his part, did not believe in them. And this, I think, is a striking thing. You know, we, we, we perhaps often have the focus, do you believe in Jesus? And of course, that's an important question. But I'd like to suggest to you, the bigger question is, does Jesus Christ believe in you? And the thing is, we believe in what we, we deem to be real, don't we? And if we think something's false, we don't believe it. And this is exactly the same here. It holds true as regard whether Jesus believes in you. And the issue this morning is, is your heart real towards God? How real is your, your commitment, your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? God knows Sunday Christians. And he knows those who are seeking him all the day and all week long. And the crowd... We'll always be full of a mix of people, but in the crowd there will be those who doesn't believe in, because there's a lack of reality about their faith to get real. We dare not sit on the time for us to come off the fence and to choose to walk with God. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. You see, immediately, the Lord is beginning to sift. It's quite extraordinary. And someone says, oh, follow you wherever you go. And here again is Jesus knowing what's in man. And he just says, well, actually, I have no idea. Dead people do what dead people can do. There are certain things that only those who are alive in God can do. And we need to give ourselves to those things. And that's not to say that we can just discard all our, our earthly commitments. We have commitments to our family to provide for them and, and all those sorts of things, things that it is right for us to do, of course. But really what it's saying is, don't allow other things to get in the way. It's so easy to want to sort of tie up all the loose ends, isn't it? It's, Lord, I will but, or Lord, first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. And dear friends, there are certain things that only living people can do. And we need to give ourselves to those things. And stuff that dead people can do, let them get on with it. The spiritually alive must be about the business of God. And very much seeking his His purposes. And so the Lord immediately, he's already sifting And you see this elsewhere. For example, it says at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, verse 1, um, it says that when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Really interesting. He sees a crowd and he walks up a mountain. Climbing a mountain involves a bit of effort. It, It carries a bit of cost. There's a bit of work involved. And what's the point? It separates the crowd from the disciples. And Jesus always wants to do this. And again, he's saying to you, dear friends, you need to come aside from the crowd. There comes a time when we have to choose, I am willing to be in the minority. For some of you young folk at school maybe, you know, it it can be hard when the weight of the crowd, the weight of opinion is against you. But there's a time when God says, now it's time to come aside. It's time to be willing to step aside from the crowd and come with me. Dare I even say it, there comes a time we have to be willing to step aside from the crowd in the house of God, in a sense. Or should I say, what we call the church, in the general sense of the word. And come aside and follow the Lord Jesus. And he sat down and his disciples came to him. Isn't that lovely? And so we are here in verse 23. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And so this separation has now come between the crowd and the uh, disciples. Let me just say as well, uh, the context in, in Mark is, is very similar. But the if you like, the sifting that goes on... Uh, we see that this episode followed, uh, as given to us in the, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus had been teaching in parables, and, uh, and, then, and then we get this account of them crossing the Sea of Galilee. And it's so interesting here again, it says, I'm just reading to you now from Mark 4, verse 33, with many such parables he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. It's, to, it's the disciples to whom the Lord Jesus explained things privately. I think that's precious. You know, if you really set your heart to be a disciple and to seek the Lord Jesus, and you go aside uh, and carve out that time to seek the face of God, he will come and explain things to you privately. Isn't that lovely? There's a scripture that says he is intimate with the upright, and that's beautiful. And the Lord is looking for people he can do that with, but he doesn't do it with the crowd. And maybe you've heard people say, isn't it great, you know, Jesus taught in parables, he taught in everyday language to make it accessible to everyday people. He spoke in terms of fishing and farming and uh, that sort of thing. And actually quite the opposite is true. Jesus taught in parables, the scripture says, to conceal truth from those who are hard of heart. And he explained that truth and revealed it to his disciples. Amazing. So if you want the Lord Jesus to explain things to you privately, if your desire, if your hunger is for Jesus to feed you and instruct you, then discipleship's the only way. He told us not to cast pearls before swine. He's not going to do the same quickly himself. So may the Lord enable us to commit. And you'll find as you set your heart to seek the face of God, he will come rushing in to meet with you. As much as the the theme of your camp, that sounds good. I might have to pop along myself. (laughs) So he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. And again in Mark it says, On that day when evening came, and you see what happens with those who've chosen to follow the Lord Jesus they they go on a journey. And this was not going to be an easy journey. And the disciples didn't know that at the time. And sometimes we want to be able to say, yes, I'll follow you, Lord, as long as I know that everything is going to be okay. But it, the Lord doesn't promise that. And, and he's looking for those who are willing to trust him and say, yes, Lord, I'll get into the boat and go with him. And it's interesting that the scripture says that is when evening came. He said to them, let us go over to the other side. And there's two very precious things there. Sometimes, folks, evening has come. Nights seasons come upon us and they sh- will certainly come upon disciples so if you are finding yourself in a night season difference if things have suddenly become dark if things have suddenly become hard fear not and don't be tempted to think i must be out of the will of god things are everything's going wrong it might actually be the sign that you're exactly where god wants you to be Because this is the path of discipleship, and this is where Jesus takes his disciples. And folks, evenings come, and as much I could say about that, the Lord has been really, I suppose, sharing a few things with me at the moment about night seasons, very precious things. I'm not sure they're for now, but the night comes. And he said to them, and this is very good, from Mark 4, verse 35, let us go over to the other side. And that is glorious. Because at the outset of this journey, Jesus has declared the destination. And it was not a watery grave in the middle of the Galilee. He said, let us go to the other side. That's the destination. And that's wonderful. And I want to say that to you. Because maybe everything's fine. Hallelujah. But sooner or later, storms will blow up. Maybe, dear friends, you're in the thick of it. And you are getting battered by the waves and the wind right now. I want to say to you, Jesus has already declared the destination. And it's the other side. And you see this all over the word. Passing through The valley of Bacca. They make it a spring. And that's those whose hearts are set on Zion. It's exactly the same thing. This is is, uh, Psalm 84. Those who are are set on pilgrimage. Disciples, essentially. Those who want to go with God. Those who who are determined to go God's way. It says, passing through the valley of baca the valley is there dear friends that means the valley of weeping but what happens they go through it they don't get stuck there and if you're in a valley i want to encourage you folks you're going through this is not the end god will bring you through he will deliver you out of all your troubles as we were reminded this morning And what do they do? Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The valley becomes the spring of something new. It becomes the very source of a whole new experience of God and a whole new life and a whole new reality and a whole new ministry even. It becomes a spring. David also said, didn't he, when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, but again, I go through the valley. Be encouraged, beloved. Jesus has declared the destination. And then it goes on in Mark to say that leaving the crowd, and then we have it again, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. That's Mark's account, chapter 4, verse 35. And I love that little phrase they took jesus with them just as he was how is jesus in your sight if i can put it like, if i can put it like that is jesus enough are you prepared to take him just as he is you know folks sometimes we can want to bring jesus plus something Jesus, Jesus plus life jackets. <laughs> a flare or two to, to, to bail you out when it gets too tough. We, we can want Jesus plus a guarantee of favourable conditions. My, these, these, they took Jesus just as he was. And then that, the reason is he's all you need. You can afford to take him just as he is. And don't try to impose conditions upon God. And take him, I also say this, take him as he presents himself in the scriptures. You know, we read that God created man in his image. And it seems that in much of many places, man is busy creating God in his image. Well, folks, take Jesus as he is. Do take the Jesus of the Bible, won't you? Be very aware of anybody who tries to present to you a different Jesus. Have nothing to do with it. Take him just as he is. You will find him to be everything you need. And so they got into the boat and took him with them. Praise the Lord. Just as he is. Always enough, dear friends. Do you believe that? And behold. Verse 24, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. And we uh, read in the Gospel of Mark that the boat was already filling up. And indeed Luke records that uh, a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. Okay, So there, there was genuine danger here. And they were, we see seen it a, a little bit later, they were sore afraid. Now these were rather sea-hardened men, weren't they? they? They were not unfamiliar to the sea. They were not landlubbers like us, I suppose most of us. They, were, they spent their life at sea. It's how they made their living. They were familiar with this sort of thing. Nonetheless, this was serious. And a great storm arises, and it does so happen at times, dear friends, that great storms arise. And I suppose there are many things in the scriptures that the Lord uses to describe to us times of difficulty. So there may be valleys, there can be furnaces, there can be storms, there can be night seasons, it can be times of sifting and winnowing, pruning, all manner of things. Uh, but the storm blew up, uh, and I suppose that. Part of the, the nature of this, this kind of storm, I understand, I've not been to Israel, um, but in this, on the Sea of Galilee, the storms could descend very fast and blow up very quickly, so suddenly you find yourself overtaken by something, and, it, and we read that Jesus himself was asleep. Do you feel like Jesus is asleep to your situation? Now, Jesus, in his humanity here, was asleep. But we read, don't we, that he who keeps you will not slumber. And he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. But it can appear to us, beloved, that he is. Because there are times when God is silent. And may I say to you gently, just because God is silent, it doesn't mean he's deaf. He may choose for a time to say nothing at all. He may seem to be asleep. He may seem to be oblivious to your circumstances. He may appear to be unaware of the gravity of your situation. He's not. He's not. Trust him, dear friends. Who is he that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord. And rely on his God, the word says. So he, he was sleeping. And I want to encourage you again. If you feel like the Lord doesn't seem to be hearing you, he is. Be encouraged and just walk on faithfully. But I think there's another very precious thing here. He's asleep. He was entirely unfazed by the situation. I think it's tremendous. I work for a water company and um, from time to time things can, yeah, you know, things can become difficult in a situation in, in terms of uh, my particular role and, and that can have reasonably serious consequences. Um, and I, was, I work with a guy, um, quite a lively character and uh, he's, he's quite, shall I say, full of, full of himself. I need to be careful what I say. He might hear this one day. Um, <laughs> but... Um, He's a, he's a larger-than-life character, let's say that. And uh, he was saying how he loves a good crisis. And he says, the bigger the crisis, the happier I am. And he said to me, Neil, he says, if I start panicking, you're allowed to panic. And i kind of to laugh it off. But it's kind of stayed with me, really. And it's almost what, what comes to mind here. If Jesus starts panicking, you can panic, okay? And as it happens, he's not going to. And in this situation here, he's in the boat and he's fast asleep. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that wonderful? If God was quaking in his boots, we're really in trouble. And isn't that like the situation with a a parent and their children? You might be really struggling, and yet in front of your children you want to stay completely calm because you don't want them to be troubled. Well, God doesn't have to pretend to be calm. He is. Jesus has slept while the disciples got increasingly afraid. Isn't that lovely? Fix your eyes on his gaze. And remember, if he starts panicking, you're allowed to. Okay? Okay? It's lovely. He was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. That's Matthew's account. Mark says, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Are you ever tempted to ask that question? And Luke records for us, they came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. It's a lovely song, Your Cries Have Awoken the Master. And interesting, they got to a point when they cried out. And I just wonder, the disciples, familiar as they were with the sea, not unaccustomed to the occasional storm. Maybe the wind blew up and they were thinking, oh, lads, it's getting a bit lively tonight, isn't it? And they felt okay at first. And then the sea got bigger and the waves got louder and the wind got stronger. And they're thinking, "This is a bad one tonight, boys. But they still felt okay. And then they really began to look at each other and think, this is a bad one. And then they get to a point when eventually they cry out. How long do we take to cry out? How long do we go on gritting our teeth, trying to just knuckle down and keep going? And sometimes we just got to cry out. It says in Psalm 107, something similar. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. Sometimes the Lord just wants to deal with an element of our own strength and our own resources and he's waiting for that cry to come. Beloved, be willing to let go of your own strength and admit you need help. Cry out to God. And it's lovely, as soon as they did, Jesus awakes. But just notice, as the three different gospel accounts, and I think this is beautiful. In each one, they address Jesus in a different way. Now I imagine they were saying all three of these things. But in Matthew, it's, save us, Lord. We are perishing. That word Lord there, it means uh, one supreme in authority, the controller and the owner. The Lord. The Lord of heaven and earth. The Lord of creation. And I think this this involves an acknowledgement that God is utterly sovereign over your circumstances. And God wants you to know that, dear friends. The things have not spun out of control such that God is now thinking, "Uh uh-oh. That has not happened. He is still the Lord. He is in charge of what is happening and what goes on in our lives. These things are appointed by God. The storms that come are at his bidding. He has not lost control. Trust him with your circumstances. He is yet the Lord. In Mark's account, they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus wants to be your teacher and he wants to be your teacher in the storm. And if you'll go through it with him, if you will allow the Lord to take you through and to have his way, in a sense, if you are willing to abide in the circumstances God appoints for as long as they should endure, then he will teach you great and mighty things that you do not know. There are things God wants to teach us in the storms that he can teach us no other way. There are things we learn in the night. You can't learn in the daytime. Dear friends, don't despise the difficult times that come because actually there are God's moments to do something glorious. Isn't that what the word of God says? Momentary light affliction. He's working for us in eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comparison. Scripture says, Be willing to let God take you through whatever he's taking you through. Because the momentary light affliction, really, by comparison. God, through that, wants to work in you an eternal weight of glory. He will build into you something of, that is beyond all comparison, not worthy to be compared with the trouble we endure. Something eternal, something weighty, something that will last forever, something precious. And I think this is already reflected in this in saying teacher, because he wants to teach you. Allow the teacher to, to teach you the lessons that we need to learn And there are very precious things. You know, God can turn again the storm and the night into the most precious place. And then in Luke, they woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And this means a a chief, a commander, overseer, one who stands in authority over us. And it's used very much in the scriptures if you have a quick scan through a concordance or whatever in the New Testament. This word always, or very often comes up with, in the context of a slave and a master, the context of a servant and a master. And in these sorts of times, you know, the Lord really wants to sort out who our master is. Again, just if I may call our mind back to that word from our brother earlier about no one can serve two masters. You see, the storms have a knack, or may I say, the Lord wants through the storm. To just deal with certain things that are masters over us and ought not be. It has a way of making us choose. And indeed, doesn't the scripture say, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. And there can be even things in our lives, folks, that they're they're actually lawful. (laughs) They're just not profitable. There can be things that we end up giving our lives to that occupy occupy far too big a place in our life. And it's not inherently sinful. It's just God is saying, right, I want to be your master. And these other mini-masters that have just got a bit too much of your time and a bit too much of your attention, a little too much of your affection, they need to go now. And I want to become your master. And you know, Jesus does this by degrees. If he did it all at once, we'd be shattered. But he's so gentle, he is so forbearing, he's so gracious. Uh, but as each thing comes, the Lord just deals with the mastery of other things in our lives that we might be increasingly his and his alone. Serving only one master. Isn't that lovely? All oh, the Lord wants you to know, all that he wants to do in you and accomplish in you through these things, and it's it comes out here. In the way the uh, disciples call on his name. And then Jesus arises. And this is very, very special this. Matthew 8, verse 26. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then. He got up and rebuked the winds and the sea and it became perfectly calm. It's given specifically in this order in the Gospel of Matthew. It's the other way around in the other two. Now I think that Jesus said this to them both before the storm had died down and after actually. But I want you to take it as it is and I want to focus on this as it's given to us in in Matthew's Gospel. That before the storm had finished... Jesus says, Why are you afraid? You men of little faith. This means you have the liberty of not being afraid before your circumstances are resolved. It's glorious if we had only seen it when the storm had finished and Jesus says, why are you afraid? Then maybe the message given to us would have been, well, once I get through the other side of this, I'll be okay. But actually, Jesus is saying, if I can put it reverently like this, you can be okay now. He's saying, you do not need to be afraid now before the storm has finished. While the waves are still billowing in, you know, I, my imagination, I can imagine they're on the boat and, and Jesus stands up and says, why are you afraid? Bearing in mind, this was, it would have been noisy. And then a massive wave crashes in across the boat and knocks the disciples for six and they go spinning across the deck like skittles. And kind of clinging on to every bit of rope or whatever they can find. And all the mayhem and the chaos and the water subsides and he says, oh, you have little faith. But this is so important, really, because, folks, doesn't the Scripture not say, more than the sound of many waters and the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. And I think maybe for some of you here, you're in the middle of a right battering. The storm is laying it on thick. And you need to hear the words of Jesus above all that noise saying, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And that's not to condemn you, but it's that you might understand that you can have faith in the Son of God and you can be free of fear now, even while the storm still rages. Your, the, your, the well-being of your soul is not dependent upon your circumstances, but upon the Son of God who's in the boat with you. Oh, that we could hear this. Oh, that I could hear it. And maybe it seems like an unfair question of Jesus to ask, why are you afraid? Well, isn't it obvious? But, but I think Jesus is genuinely asking this. You know, there's, I believe I'm running insane. saying, there's a scripture where it says that he wondered at their unbelief. You know, and that, that word can mean to be marveled, to, to marvel at. Almost to be amazed by, to be astonished by. You know, I don't suppose there are that many things that God wonders at. But really, our unbelief is one of them. And what we need to understand is the reason that Jesus asked this question genuinely is because unbelief is so utterly foreign to him. It is so alien to the Son of God to be unbelieving. Because he sees things as they are. His fellowship with God the Father is such. He is so close to God the Father is now, was upon the earth then, in such perfect fellowship, he saw God as he really is. The scripture says, isn't it, the Lord sat as king at the flood. Yeah. Jesus knew that, so he wasn't worried about a small storm. Do you see, because he, he had such a, a beautiful and a complete revelation of God, and because he had learned the, the secret of being able to fix his eyes upon God, and not the and not the storm, he was perfectly calm. And so he asks them genuinely, Why are you afraid? My dear friends, God wonders at our unbelief. If only, and I preach to myself, we could see God as he really is. Think about Elisha, 2 Kings 6, and the army of Aram coming in. They're surrounded on the mountains by this army out for Elisha. An army out after one man. He caused them such trouble and mayhem spinning all their secrets to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the kings that he was prophesying to. And so the army comes out after him and, and his servant is quaking in his boots, terrified. Saying, what shall we do? And Eli- what does Elisha pray? Oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. If our eyes were open to see, what we need, isn't it? Folks, if there's a situation that you're really is causing you fear, ask God to open your eyes that you may see. Oh, if only we could see it. And he saw the chariots and horses of fire surrounding them. And those that are with us are more than those that are with them. He who is with you is more than your circumstances. He who is with you is more than your storm. Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And then he got up. Take courage. The Lord wants you to come to a place of peace. The Lord is beckoning you to a place of peace, even if the circumstances are still hard. And that's wonderful. And that, in a sense, that's, that's true faith, isn't it? You don't need faith when everything's easy. <laughs> you know, if it has only come after the storm has finished, well, we need faith, everything's fine. No, faith is that which causes us to hold on to God when things are still hard. And it became, you see, when Jesus arises, and this is often the way, you know, the storm will persist for a time. But when Jesus chooses, he arises and he rebukes the wind and the sea and it became perfectly calm. And it, so, it says elsewhere, some 107, he caused the storm to be still. And I love that. And elsewhere, and he brought them to their desired haven. God will bring you through. And it became perfectly calm. The Lord can bring a calm, even though to you the situation may seem irredeemable. Jesus is more than enough for it. <coughs> And he can bring the calm. But even before the calm hits the sea, allow him to bring the calm to your own heart. And then there's a glorious transformation takes place. And they say, and the men were amazed and said, what kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And I would like to take you over to the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 4 again. There's a really tremendous detail given to us here. So, verse 40. Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? That word afraid there is a very interesting word. It's a Greek word that only crops up three times in the scriptures here, then again in the Gospel of Matthew. And finally, in the book of Revelation, there's a similar word related to it, um, uh, to do with timidity. Okay, But the word actually means, is to be timid and to be fearful. And quite strikingly, I'll just like to read this to you, don't worry about turning there, but Revelation 21, it comes in the list of those who will not inherit uh, the, uh, the kingdom of God. And it says... From verse 7, he who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, and that's the word, and unbelieving. They're the first in the list whose part is in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. The second death. This is an extraordinary thing. This timidity, this cowardice. And it's very much linked with unbelief. You see, notice, it says, the cowardly and unbelieving. They're put together in Revelation 21, verse 8. And again, Jesus says, why are you afraid? Why are you timid? How is it that you have no faith? And and that, there's one, um, one Bible dictionary that describes it or explains it as the kind of timidity that ultimately leads to denying the Lord and apostatizing And we do need, dear friends, in such days as these to allow the Lord to have his way with us and to deal with unbelief and to strengthen our faith so that we will follow him. Because if we are not believing, if we we are disbelieving in our hearts, the result of that is disobedience. And at the least, we risk straying from the Lord and he will restore us if we do indeed turn but the danger is the end point of that is apostasy the scripture does say does it not that in the in the last days there will be a great falling away from the faith and I believe a falling away means you fell away from something that you we once had I, I don't go with the idea that those who fall away never were actually there ok so we need to to be those who are not unbelieving. Oh, dear friends, allow the Lord to wring the unbelief out of your heart and replace it with faith so that we are not cowardly in the sense that ultimately means we deny the Lord. Oh, may God help us. God knows how weak and failing my heart is and how I need this and how we need the strength of God in, in every one of our hearts. Call on him for it. He wants to do it. But Jesus says, why are you cowardly? Why are you timid? How is it that you have no faith? And it is very simply put in Luke. Where is your faith? Lay hold of faith. And then, verse 41 of Mark 4. They became very much afraid. And it's a different Greek word. Phobos and it's to do it's the same fear that's used elsewhere of the fear of God and this is tremendous they actually the, uh, the Greek there is is uh, phobēa, phobos doubly afraid <laughs> they got a double portion of afraid um, but their fear of the circumstances was removed and now they're very much afraid of who? the son of God himself Isn't that wonderful? This is what the Lord wants to do for you, beloved friends. He wants to so work in you through your circumstances that the end result is that your fear of the circumstances evaporates and what settles in your heart in its place is a holy fear of God himself. So that you're saying all you can see in a sense is the Son of God, the storm behind you, and it's the fear of God that fills your heart now. What a transformation, isn't that good? And the fear of God is the only clean fear there is. Every other fear is dark and it's, it's unclean and it drags us down and all that. You probably know that, that awful feeling when it permeates your heart. Dear friends, the Lord wants to exc- excise that from every one of us. Hallelujah. And for the holy and the pure and the clean fear of God to take its place. And they say, who then is this? They come to a, a totally new revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. A man who they, they knew who he was. Of course they did. They'd been living with him. They'd seen his work. And yet, that through the storm, Jesus reveals himself to them in such a new way that they say, who is this? They see the power of God in a totally new level. They get a revelation of the majesty and the power of God in in an entirely new way. They are transformed men. Oh, it's marvellous, isn't it? And the Lord wants to do it for you. And he does it through the storms. So go with him. If you're a disciple, if your heart is set upon discipleship, Only you can make that choice, dear friends. If your heart is set on discipleship, sooner or later the Lord will beckon you into a boat. He won't force you. But the disciples follow. That's what disciples do. And Jesus, don't forget, hear it again, he declares the destination at the outset. He says, we're going to the other side. And if you will let the Lord have his way, and if you will allow him to take you through whatever storm blows up in your life, he will use it to work in you an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. And you will get a revelation of Jesus Christ such that you're there saying, who is this? And he's, you see him in a whole new way Blessed be God. Well, shall we pray? (coughs) Lord Jesus, how we love you. And we thank you for your perfect dealing with your people. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts. And for any of us who may not yet have committed to discipleship. Let that call ring in our ears, I pray. That we may choose to follow And Father, I pray for those here who are in the storm this morning. Oh, Father, strengthen your people. Lord, give encouragement to your sons, your daughters. Give solace. And Father, I do pray that for any who are yet being assailed by the wind and the waves, Even if the sea is not yet calm, Lord, usher your calm into their heart, I pray. Oh, teach us to trust you. Open our eyes that we may see. You have committed us to carry us safely through. And we pray that you will be able to work in us that eternal weight of glory. For your glory something beyond all comparison Lord deal with our unbelief and would you fill it with the faith of the son of God and may we put our hand bravely in yours and follow you through every step so we commit ourselves to you And we ask you to part us with your blessing and your safekeeping. And teach us as we go on with you through this week in Jesus' precious name. Amen.